Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this March 2013 episode of the podcast, we're going to focus on tracing female ancestors. I've got some great tips, tools, products, and websites for you to help you draw them out of the shadows. Our first stop will be the Genealogy Insider blog and managing editor, Diane Haddad, who's back from maternity leave, and she'll be sharing some intriguing discoveries that she's been documenting in the blog about the women in her family. In our top tip segment, Gina Philibert Ortega, author of the book, Family Kitchen, Discover Your Food Heritage and Preserve Favorite Recipes, will be here to give us some tips on learning more about our female ancestors through more unconventional genealogical sources. Then in our 101 Best Website segment, contributing editor Trixell will be here to unveil some secrets to using Ancestry.com from his on-demand webinar. It's called The Unofficial Guide to Ancestry.com. Then in the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, author and instructor Lisa Alzo will reveal some of her best strategies for finding the ladies from her class called Finding Female Ancestors. And finally, we're going to check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan. She's the publisher of Family Tree Magazine. She'll be here with some excellent resources to catapult our online research. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the Genealogy Insider blog with Diane Haddad. We're going to kick off this episode with news from the blogosphere. And here to give us the scoop is the Genealogy Insider blogger, Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hi, Lisa. Diane, one of the things I love about the Genealogy Insider blog is that not only do you report on the genealogy news, but you apply it to your own research. And I love that you share your experiences. And I know one of the most recent posts that you did was uh, on some research that you were doing on your female ancestors. So tell us about that. It was really exciting to find this stuff out. I had found a long time ago an announcement in the newspaper that this um, female ancestor, Mary Frost, had filed for divorce in 1879, and then two years later, another notice that it was granted. And I just couldn't imagine having my personal business in the news yeah. like that. <laughs> but um, when I finally got the case file, which I just I called the courthouse and they said, oh, records that older at the state archives, so I sent a request um, to get photocopies. And this is a and divorce case file? Yeah, uh-huh. and so it was that easy to just get the copies because uh-huh. um, I'd been dreading this big trip to the courthouse. Um, right. So 103 pages wow. of a divorce case, and I can see why it was in the news because there were all kinds of depositions, and um, she accused him of cruelty, and he said, oh, well, she's... Um, crazy and the neighbors testified her doctor testified the children so there's a lot of information i'm just still slogging through you know all that that old handwriting wow and this is 1879 yeah 1879 through um and then it, there are depositions took place and different motions and filings um throughout until the end of the case in 1881 Wow. Pretty early for divorce records. Good tip that you didn't have to go to the courthouse. You could get them from the archives because I guess they move those older records often. Right. Some places do and some don't. So, you know, a lot of times you just have to keep looking around for this kind of thing. And there was a maiden name, too, which was really exciting. Oh, wow. Now, I know in the blog post you were talking about that cluster research 
was kind of the key to some of this. Tell us about what you mean by that. Well, the maiden name, when I first came across it, it was not read. Well, there were a few letters that were readable, but um, some of it wasn't. And I had been looking in the census doing wild card searches and couldn't find people who I knew were my ancestors. So um, in these records, I found the name of the husband of my female ancestor's sister, so Mary Frost's sister's husband. So I researched him and found him in city directories and a census. And then, of course, that had the sister's name. And then I researched the sister, found her death record, and that had the name of the parents. Exactly. So this whole idea that people are interconnected, that can really be the key to unlock um, an ancestor that you're having trouble finding. Right. And this um, divorce record, it, it names... There was the name of another sister, but not a last name. But then it also names neighbors who would be potential research candidates. Right. Um, more clues on the children and what they did. So, so there's a lot of information packed into this record. Oh, wow. Well, if you want to read all about Diane's story, she's got a couple of blog posts. The first one's tabloid divorces have nothing on these ancestors. <laughs> Sounds like that's true. <laughs> and another one called I Think I've Got It, Cluster Genealogy Works. We'll have links in the show notes to those um, posts, as well as just getting a hold of all the recent genealogy news and happenings going on in the genealogy community. Diane, thanks so much for sharing your experience. Congratulations and keep up the good work. You're welcome. Thank you. When it comes to tracing female ancestors, Gina Philibert Ortega is one of the people I think of first. She's written a wonderful book called From the Family Kitchen, Discover Your Food Heritage and Preserve Favorite Recipes that also reveals some innovative ways to learn more about your female ancestors. And she's here with me now in this Top Tips segment. Welcome to the show, Gina. Thanks a lot, Lisa. It's great to be here. Well, perfect to have you here for our theme, which is tracing your family ancestors. And, you know, it can be pretty frustrating as we're combing through genealogical records. And, of course, the only phrase we often see, particularly like in the census, would be keeping house, you know, in regards to our, our the women in our family. Or, or worse yet, we don't find anything at all. So tell us what are some of the places that you recommend in your book that we go looking for women that might be off the beaten path? Well, you know, one of the sources that I always look to, and I know it's a favorite of yours too, Lisa, is Google Books. Yes. You know, Google Books provides us the opportunity to not only find snippets of information in newer books, but also to download books that are in the public domain. And, you know, there's so many books that have to do with genealogy in Google Books. Uh, You know, City Directories is a good example. Community cookbooks are in Google Books. I'll tell you one of my favorite stories is that I one day just um, Googled my fourth grade grandmother's name and found her in Google Books in the work of a professor who had studied the region in Texas where she was from and had written a chapter about women who got divorced in 1850. You know, it was a title I would have never thought of searching. And because Google Books is every word indexed, you can find those obscure references to women that you may not find elsewhere. 
That's such a good point because after you use the search box to locate um, a particular volume, then within each book, you have a search box unique to the book. So you really can dig into hundreds and hundreds of pages in an instant, can't you? You can. And, and you know, you can search other things as well. I mean, the place where she lived, the, the membership organization she was a member of, religion, whatever you want. But it really makes it nice. And the one thing that's important with Google Books is to remember that they're constantly adding to it. And so, you know, keep track of what you searched last week. It may be different this week. Yeah, absolutely. And and you make a good point that even if our um, ancestor, if the woman is not even mentioned in the book specifically, we can look at her life and, like you say, those organizations that we know of and start searching the places and the people and the activities that she was involved with. And you really can get a really richer sense of what their everyday life might have been like. Most definitely. And, you know, I think one of the the key things for me is, you know, we so often concentrate on just looking at the census or uh, other government records. And, you know, sometimes those are lacking in information for women. I know from my own great grandmother, in the census, she's listed as a housewife. And that's how all women seem to be listed, right? Mm -hmm. But when I look at city directories at the time, I get what her occupation is. And so it really is important to kind of widen your scope, whether that's looking at different kinds of records or uh, looking at her community and not just researching her, but also her family and her friends and her church and everything else. Right. And Google Books, as you said, uh, being focused on those early public domain books, the books prior to 1923, County Histories is another one that comes to mind, where again, you might get a little more of the in-depth community, you know, information. But there's also um, one I know that you've mentioned before, Internet Archive. Tell us a little bit about that. You know, I love Internet Archive. Um, Internet Archive is a website that has lots of different features. But the feature that I love is their digitized books, and that's under texts. And then you can go to additional collections, which actually has a genealogy collection that includes books from Allen County Public Library. Um, They also have some microfilm from Allen County Public Library. They have a cooking section with community cookbooks. So they have all kinds of books, and they're all public domain. So it's not just um, a snippet view like on some of the books through Google Books. It's you're looking at the entire book. And you know, there's many great categories. There's libraries from the U.S. and from Canada in there. There's just so much. Now, what I will kind of caution is I like the search in Google Books better. So you may have to, in Internet Archive, kind of browse a little bit more to find what you're looking for. But, you know, I have had people tell me they have found everything from parish records to family surname books. And so there's a great collection there. And it's a good example, that and Google Books, of non-genealogy websites that really are filled with genealogy. Yeah, absolutely. We, we have to get out of that genealogy box and really into all these other tools that very much include genealogy. I, I'm thinking in particular for me, um, my great-grandmother lived through the 1906 San Francisco earthquake. And on Internet Archive, under moving pictures, I found old videos, uh, you know, movies, silent movies that were taken just a week after 
the earthquake. And it was so interesting to see the women on the street hauling water, cooking on the sidewalk, dealing with the aftermath of all the devastation. And and some of them were still, they had their nice coat, their hat, their gloves, but they, you know, they were out in public, but they were still trying to maintain the home. And just seeing that in action and visualizing, could this have been what her life was like then is just amazing. Well, and Lisa, I think that brings up a really good point about the role of social history in researching women. You know, sometimes people feel really frustrated when they can't find specific mentions of the women in their family tree. But another important aspect is adding that social history. I mean, she may not have written about what it was like to go through the 1906 earthquake, but with those videos, you get a sense of what it was like. And I think that's just as important, especially as we try to interest younger generations in uh, genealogy. Any other online types of um, resources, maybe even ones that we've commonly used in the past, but we haven't used for looking specifically at the women in our family? Yeah, you know, one of the things I like to encourage people to do is to use familiar websites differently. And one of those is Family Search. You know, mm-hmm. Family Search has been a favorite for most of us uh, for a long time. And What I like to do is I like to go into the Family History Library catalog and search by keyword. Now, when you search by keyword, you can use words like women. um, You can use uh, suffragettes. You could use Quaker women. You know, you could come up with a few keyword phrases that might describe your ancestor and uh, her life. And it's through those keyword phrases that you can find wonderful materials that have to do with women that you might miss otherwise. Oh, that's a great tip. Well, as as Gina says, sometimes we need to look in the genealogy box. Sometimes we need to look out of it. Sometimes we need to think about the social context. And of course, one of the wonderful resources for all of this and learning about our women's lives and our family tree is her book. Now, the book is called Family Kitchen, Discover Your Food, Heritage, and Preserve Family Recipes. And it's kind of divided up into a couple of different sections. You've got the social history of food, um, and also historical recipes. And then there's a beautiful journal in the back. If, if you'd like more information, want to take a look at that, uh, we have it at shopfamilytree.com. I'll have a link directly for it in the show notes. And if you'd like to hear more from Gina, she and I got together in my kitchen for a video conversation about women, homekeeping, recipes, cookbooks, and a lot more. The video is called Family History and Food, Cookbooks, Recipes, Diets in Our Ancestors' Lives. And you can watch it at my YouTube channel. It's at youtube.com slash genealogygems. And uh, you'll also find a video there of me and Gina cooking in my kitchen using a vintage kitchen tool of the past. Um, so it's kind of, that was a lot of fun getting together and actually um, using an old kitchen a utensil that our grandmothers used and having fun with it today and kind of going through the paces. It definitely was. <laughs> well, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for giving us um, some new ways to look at some uh, websites we may have visited before, but now there's so much more that they can do for us for tracing our female ancestors. Thanks so much, Gina. Thanks for having me. In this 101 Best Website segment, we're going to take a closer look at Ancestry.com and make sure that you're getting the most from that site, including finding those elusive female ancestors. Here to help us out is David Frixell. He's the presenter of the Unofficial Guide to Ancestry.com On Demand webinar. Welcome back, David. 
Thanks. It's great to be here, as usual. Yeah. Oh, great to have you back. This will be a subject everybody's interested in, because it's kind of easy to get stuck in a rut, I think, uh, in our approach to searching on Ancestry. You know, you just go in and you keep searching the same way over and over. And I know in the webinar that you gave some great tips for locating hard-to-find ancestors. And of course, I think that sometimes the ladies in our family tend to always fall in that category. <laughs> what What are some of your ancestry sleuthing tips and, and just a little more about ancestry itself? Well, you're right that we tend to search ancestry the same way because that's how, what they want us to do. They, you know, There's one main search form. And of course, the first thing I always tell people is to skip that basic search form and go to the advanced search if you're not already um, there because then you have more options. And ancestry, the trouble is, it, sometimes it has too much information. And it's got about 31,000 databases with more than 9 billion, that's billion with a B, historical records. <laughs> that includes all available U.S. Census records, including through now the, uh, the 1940 census, along with Canadian, English, and Welsh censuses. It's got border-crossing arrival records. It's got newspapers. It's got military records from the Revolutionary War all the way through World War II, you know, vital records indexes, more than 20,000 digitized family and local history books, um, city directories, yearbooks, I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. Wow. Plus, you've got 34 million family trees containing 4 billion profiles, um, over 115 million photographs, scan documents. It's, it's just never-ending. So sometimes, rather than just doing the big-picture search, I like to search the card catalog, and that's the bottom choice under, that drops down under search to find specific databases. You can even use the keyword free to find nearly 700 free databases, or at least partly free. But, for example, if you're use, looking for people in Missouri, um, you can go in through the little map that, that lets you click on, or you can search for those with Missouri or even a particular place in Missouri you know, in the uh, name of the database. And that often by searching one database at a time, uh, you can really drill down and get the data that you want, and you're less like, because often the problem with Ancestry is you get too many hits. And so that's that's really the uh, you know the challenge. Either you get nothing at all, or you get so many that you're like, I don't know where to start. Exactly, exactly. You know, it's interesting. You were talking about skipping the initial search field and going into the advanced. So you know what I just just thought of was that a lot of times I think people think I have to be an advanced genealogist. <laughs> you don't. You just it's there for you to do an advanced, more specific search. So everybody should be using that. I love that. Now, I know that there are some specific little things that we can do even to tweak within those boxes on the search page, can't we? Well, the, one of the things you can do is check the exact button. Um, and that seems very tempting, but I generally advise against doing that um, because then you're often excluding too many things. To use an example, if you're dealing with dates and you check the exact button uh, for a death date, in then those databases that don't have death dates, um, because they were created, you know, the information was created when the person was still alive, so there's no death information in there, those are all going to be skipped. So if you say, you know, he died in 1820 and you check exact, you're you know, cutting out a whole bunch of information that might be useful to you. Right. Now, the reverse side sort of is using wildcards. And Ancestry, in some ways, doesn't even encourage using wildcards because it figures 
it's it's pretty good about searching on variations of names and that sort of thing. But sometimes you need to use wildcards because the way that it wants to look at names is different from uh, you know what you really need to do. So there are two different kinds of wildcards. There's a question mark, and that stands for any single character. Or there's an asterisk, which replaces any number of characters, including none. So if you... You know, I have people in my family tree who are Lowe's, for example, and so I could search for L-O-W asterisk, and that would give me L-O-W-E as well as L-O-W with nothing else. Unfortunately, it would also give me Lowell and Lowenstein and so forth. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and you, a couple things to keep in mind. You have to use at least three actual characters in a wildcard search. So my Lowe's example would work, but searching for... L-O asterisk, for example, or, or even L-O question mark, it will give you an error message. And sometimes that can be a real uh, stumbling block because just the way that records can be mistranscribed, uh, you have to be very creative to find uh, the answers if they've been mistranscribed in a way and you have to deal with, pretty if you're dealing with thin short names, it can be uh, very frustrating. Yeah. You know, it's something I often talk about in my Google search classes, which is that search is an art and it's not a science. So it's not a one-time enter and see what you get. It's more like creating a painting and you have to keep going back and retweaking it and, and mixing colors and and um, it's a multi-step process, right? Exactly. Well, yeah. and talking about finding women in your family tree, sometimes it can be very difficult because their maiden names don't show up in records, at least not in the ways you can expect. So another sort of part of the art of search, as you say, that you could try is using the maiden name in the keyword field in that search. Because if the person might not uh, show up under their maiden name, but somewhere in that record, the keyword uh, might trigger something with that name. Maybe a witness to a record. Exactly. Yeah. Or somebody else in the family, you know, brother is there, uh, you know, some, that sort of thing. Uh-huh. Um, so you have to think a little sneakily. <laughs> you can even, and the, it, it, you have to choose your shots here, but in finding women ancestors, I've actually tried searching without a last name. And again, Ancestry doesn't want you to do this and will keep urging you, you know, a little more information would help you know, yeah. like that. <laughs> uh, but if you know a lot of other information, so I was trying to find a ancestor's um, arrival rec- immigration record um, for her transport from Sweden. And I was just striking out an ancestry. And her name, I knew what her last name was. It was Maria Ekstrom. But I could not find Maria Ekstrom no matter how I looked. So I finally gave up on that and just searched for Maria. And then I plugged in the other information I knew. I knew her. she was born in 1856. I knew where in Sweden she was born, and I knew roughly when she'd um, arrived and where she wound up after all that. So yeah, it wasn't so much that I needed the, the information in the record. I just wanted to find the darn record, you know, and leaving out the last name solved the problem that well, I got to. The, so the there was a record so like down. Sorry, the last name is so susceptible to misspelling. I could see why it could actually get in your way. Yeah. It was kind of a funny last name. And, you know, even in the family, it could be spelled E-K or E-C-K or E-X. And so there are all kinds of possibilities. And so that one finally, you know, popped it out and got me the answer. Oh, that's a great tip. 
Okay, wonderful. Um, because really, it's it's you know, I mean, women, women are sometimes challenging to find because of those last names, and it's interesting. You, it kind of goes against the grain to think about leave any kind of last name out because <laughs> you think that's what you're trying to. Right when you know the last name, yeah. Well, the other thing you can do is, particularly with women ancestors, is to you have to use ancestors' various databases together, going back and forth, and sometimes in combination with other databases. So I was recently trying to find um, the, or prove at least the parents of an F.E. Foreman, F-O-R-M-A-N, and I managed to find on Ancestry a marriage record um, for uh, Walter Foreman and Effie, and there I learned that her last name was Miller. Now, that was great, except, of course, Miller is such a common name. Mm-hmm. So then I went to the census, and Ancestry census records really are great. And by using the census, I was able to find the family in the census in 1900. Uh, and the 1900 census is great because it gives you birth, month, and year, which is pretty unusual. Um, so I had a lot of stuff to work with there. And looking on the census, there were Walter and Effie, obviously newly married. They were like 22 and 19. And the household next to them in the census was a Henry Miller and his wow. wife and a young daughter. So, of course, I'm thinking, this is a very strong candidate here. Mm-hmm. But how, you know, it could just be coincidence, I suppose. Sure. So I went and, you know, and then cross-checking, I searched for Missouri death records on Ancestry and found one, and then used that information. Missouri, fortunately, has a lot of good records, and they actually have the scanned images, so I didn't have to write away for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found a death record for Henry Miller, and guess who signed it? Effie Foreman. Uh. <laughs> so, I, you know, it doesn't say daughter, but come on, what are the odds here? Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> and then I was able to go and find... I know that I knew Henry was my guy. I was able to go back and find, you know, uh, other records in an, back in Ancestry um, with the census. But you have to go back and forth sometimes. You know, you have, if you don't have a clue, um, you, sometimes you have to go back and forth to find one. And then you can go on to Ancestry and see if you can test it out and, you know, make it actually work. Well, you've really made the case that we can't just rely on the search form itself. It's really up to the genealogist to use their analytical skills, a little bit of intuition, a little bit of common sense, and be flexible enough to, like you say, kind of go back and forth between the records and come back around and look at the whole cluster of families to really make sure we've proven our case. Wow. In in what, 10 minutes, you've covered an awful lot of great information. And of course, those of you listening, you can imagine how much he's going to cover in a full one-hour on-demand webinar. Um, it, it's, again, called The Unofficial Guide to Ancestry.com. It's available at Shop Family Tree. And um, I don't know. Now i got to go stop working. I have, to go back and go, I have to go back to Ancestry. <laughs> Thank you so much, David. Thanks so much. In today's Family Tree University Crash Course segment, I've invited author Lisa Alzo to join me to give us some tips from her class. It's called Finding Female Ancestors. Welcome back to the show, Lisa. Thanks, Lisa. It's great to be here. Well, finding our female ancestors, of course, is what this episode is all about. And I think your class certainly hits that nail on the head. Um, One of the, the main topics that tends to come up when we talk about our female ancestors is those maiden names. How do we tease those out of the, the shadows and into our family tree? Well, 
in my class, I have a whole lesson uh, devoted to that particular topic and listing some of the better records to use for uh, finding maiden names. So, for example, definitely a marriage record would would probably likely have a, a female ancestor's maiden name. But you also have to be careful. So when you're when you're looking for vital records, you know, whether you're doing, you know, a death record or a marriage record, one of my tips is that people tend to rely a lot on the civil records and that's fine, you know, to, to go and seek those out and, and get the clues. But as we know, sometimes records can be incomplete or um, even incorrect. And, you know, you would hope that, you know, a marriage license application would be accurate, but you would be surprised at how many mistakes you find. But also, you know, death records, if, you know, there's nothing more frustrating than getting a civil death record and you see, uh, you know, mother's maiden name unknown or something like that. So I always tell people to, if there's, if there's any way to, to get other types of records. So for example, you know, like a marriage bond, you know, prior to the 20th century, you know, grooms were required to sign a bond to ensure there was no reason, you know, morally or legally that the couple couldn't be married. So you might you know, want to dig into some court records or, or some official records to see that. Uh, a guardianship record, if, if the bride was underage, especially there would have been a consent affidavit. And so things like that also ban. So church, uh, if you can find a church equivalent, then uh, usually the priest, minister, or rabbi knew the couple or knew the, the person, and they may be likely to have more details and uh, to to fill in the blanks of the, the civil record. And then uh, a marriage ban, it would be an announcement that appeared in, you know, the church, you know, bulletin or notice on three con- consecutive Sundays to say that there was no, uh, nothing wrong with this couple getting married. And so those are the kind of things I, I talk about in, in the class. Wow. And those are great reminders because sometimes when we find an initial record and it has what we need, we don't think to keep moving on. But um, even what if we already have a maiden name, I would think getting your hands on as many of those as you possibly could would really help verify what you found. And of course, just enrich the the entire record of, of data. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I always say, you know, don't just stop it at one record. Always get everything you can possibly get your hands on because you don't know what other clues are hiding there. Exactly. And I have found so often on those death records that even then the maiden name, even if it's listed, is wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, because it, again, it's going from memory, isn't it? And it's going typically from somebody of a younger generation who might be there reporting on the death of a, of a parent or a grandparent. That's correct. So also, I think, um, in terms of females, we really have to think about the historical context, because there were a lot of kind of rules and laws and, and mores of the day that affected our the women in our in our tree. And I think if we understand that, then we probably have a much better chance of knowing what's available and what's not. And I know you address that in the class. Talk about that a little bit. Yes, I do. I have a, a lesson that's uh, that, that deals with uh, history. So, you know, learning not just the personal history of your ancestor, but 
really researching uh, the time period uh, of this particular female ancestor. So, you know, doing a Google search or getting books out of the library, uh, you know, checking into some sources. There are so many wonderful collections hiding out there that, uh, you know, that have, you know, the women's studies collection. And, you know, you can go onto WorldCat or, 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 or some archive grid or some of these other, you know, general resources or even just Google and find, you know, collections in, in university libraries. But study, study the time period, you know, get familiar with the laws. So, for example, you know, in 1920, you know, women were granted the right to vote in, in the federal elections, the, the 19th Amendment you know, granted women the right to vote, but maybe before that they were to able to vote in state level elections or local elections or school elections. You know, we always forget that states have their own laws too. And so you, by under, understanding the time period, you can go and seek out more records. And so this, this lesson uh, really talks a lot about learning the, the history, learning the time period. And then I always recommend doing a timeline for, a, for any ancestor you're trying to search for, but especially for female ancestors. You know, and most of our genealogy software programs now allow us to create timelines, or you can do one very simply in Word or Excel or whatever program you like to use. That is a great point. I, I love timelines. It really does kind of put it into a, a visual picture of all this data that's flowing around on your desk, and you can really see how it comes together. And I love your point on the states. So often we're thinking the big picture, the federal level, but you're right, every state, and even I would assume within counties, you have different um, requirements and, and documents. And, you know, it's interesting, I know in looking at marriage records, um, I came across one where there was actually an application for the marriage license where that wasn't necessarily done in other locations where they kept those official records as applications. So you really have to know where you're working and the time frame you're working in. Absolutely. And that. in speaking of applications, I found my grandparents' marriage application, the actual application. I had this, the marriage certificate and I wrote to the Allegheny uh, County Orphans Court in Pittsburgh. And what was interesting, and again, this is another tip is, you know, when you're whether you're searching online, whether you're writing away or looking in, in print indexes, always, you know, try to give other spellings of a name or variations because uh, on first pass, they may not find the people you're looking for in the index. And this happened to me because my my ancestors are Slovak and they have, you know, kind of unusual names, but Alza is a pretty simple name. But when they first wrote back to me. They said they didn't have a record of it, and I had a certificate number, and I knew they were married in Allegheny County, so I wrote oh. back again, and I said, could you please check again? Here's more information. Here are other spellings. Sure enough, they sent me the application back, and they totally botched the names the way they were written, and, and you know, my grandparents, you know, or whoever filled out the form signed it, but but however it was transcribed was not you know, the way that you would think to ask for the record. And, and so that's probably why they were missing it in their index. Right. You get what you ask for. So we have to think outside that box. That's a great reminder. Well, 
as you can tell, Lisa really knows the way to uh, locate and track down your female ancestors. And this class really has it all. It's called Finding Female Ancestors. Uh, you'll find it at Family Tree University. We'll have a link in the show notes. And um, going through this class, you're going to have Lisa at your disposal to ask all those questions of. Lisa, thank you so much for all these great tips. Thanks for having me, Lisa. As we wrap up this March 2013 episode devoted to tracing our female ancestors, let us check in at the publisher's desk at Family Tree Magazine and chat with Allison Dolan. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Well, you know, we've been talking about tracing our female ancestors, but there's females today, (laughs) women in our family, that will be part of our future generation's history and looking back. And um, you've got a resource for us that will kind of help us capture some of that information and those memories today, right? Definitely. It's a book that we published last year called My Life in Times. Um, It's written by Sunny Morton, who is a regular contributor to Family Tree Magazine. And, you know, one of the reasons why we put this book together is those stories that you can't really find in records, and that's so important. I, I, I know that's been a theme of this Tracing Female Ancestors segment about capturing the stories and trying to go um, in a sort of more creative direction with your searches. Well, why not capture that information now um, about the female relatives in your family so that um, in the future, a few generations from now, when um, your family is looking for information, they'll have these great stories um, because you took the time to record them today. Exactly. So many genealogists, probably the most common lament they have is, oh, I wish I'd started sooner. I wish I'd sat down and talked with these women in my family. What are some of the directions that the book takes to help us capture this? It's kind of funny just sitting down and writing about yourself. Well, sometimes it can feel that way. And um, for that reason, we designed the book so that it could be done as a truly DIY autobiography, where you write things about yourself, but it also could be done um, as a relative honoring another relative. So where, you know, you might sit down and write down the stories of your mom or your aunt or, you know, some other um, woman who was important in your life. And um, that takes away a little bit of the awkwardness about um, (laughs) writing things down if your relative happens to be a little bit shy about that. Um, Also, there are some special pages in there that are um, actually designed, if you are doing this as your own story, you can get other memories of other people in your family or of your friends to include to go along with your reminiscences. Oh, great. And we're writing right in the book. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, in addition to the forms in the book, one of the great features about this product is that it includes a CD that has blank copies of the same pages that are in the book. So if you need to print out extra, all you have to do is pop that in your computer and print them out and you can expand the book. Oh, nice. So we can print them, we can um, keep adding to it, because that's one of the things, isn't it, that, you know, you, you fill something and then something that happens later and you go, oh, I've run out of space. But, but this is really an ongoing kind of journal. It is, and it's also kind of customizable 
to every person's life because of course everyone is different and so if you know the there's a particular section of the book that you know doesn't really apply or there's not as many stories to go you can can take those pages out and substitute in more pages for a section that might be more robust with stories you know for example we're talking about female ancestors if you had um, a relative who maybe didn't work outside the home um, the chapter on stories from my professional life not, might not be as relevant, but um, you could certainly beef up the stories about childhood, for example, or stories from high school or marriage or that kind of thing. Right. Now, I imagine this might be the perfect book for you because you have been very busy adding to your family tree, haven't you? Well, I have. I'm excited to be uh, back in the saddle here at Family Tree Magazine after a short time off um, for the birth of my son, Owen. Oh, congratulations. So now, how long have you officially been a mommy? I have been a mommy uh, since December 25th. Owen was born on Christmas Day. So uh, he's just over two months old now. Oh, what a beautiful present. And see, you know, interesting, you could have filled pages of the professional life, but now you have that that home and caretaking life that you're just going to be filling tons of pages. I, I assume that uh, you already have captured some memories along the way. Definitely. Owen's baby book is off to a great start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, things shift, don't they? Well, congratulations. And I, and I know everybody's thinking, wait a second, she's been on the show every month. What is this woman doing? Uh, podcasting from the hospital bed? But we're kind of sneaky around here. We've, we managed to get Allison on the show. Um, and I am just so glad, though, that you've had some wonderful time off having your new son and adding to the tree. And uh, congratulations. We're all just thrilled for you. Thank you. All right. Well, I guess we will uh, be talking to you next month. We sure will. Talk to you then. Thanks so much for joining me for this March 2013 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, start going through the cupboards and finding those old family cookbooks and recipes, and then grab a copy of Gina's book, The Family Kitchen. Discover your food heritage and preserve favorite recipes at shopfamilytree.com. Next, you'll want to put into action some of the great tips that we've got in this episode. So head on over to familytreemagazine.com slash podcast, where you'll find the show notes for this episode. That include all the information and website links for everything we discussed today, including the unofficial guide to ancestry.com on demand webinar and Lisa Also's class at Family Tree University called Finding Female Ancestors. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, it's genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcast, the Genealogy Gems Podcast, which is also available through iTunes. Until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. <laughs>